You ready to get started today? Yes. All right, let's go. Well, we're going to talk, of course, about the love of God today, being uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, we've got to talk about God's love, and if there was ever a subject that I feel completely inadequate to talk about is the love of God. I don't even understand it. I can talk about it. I can read about it. But really grabbing it and understanding it and, and knowing its full measure, I, I'm not so sure that's humanly possible. We are talking about God. But let's talk about the love of God today. There's been so much written about the love of God. Songs have been sung. Poems have been written. We know one of the great songs is, Love is a many-splendored uh, many thing. What a beautiful song. Of course, the Beatles sang, All you need is love. Then Tina Turner said, What's love got to do with it? <laughs> but maybe on today's date, the most beautiful song is, When a Man Loves a Woman. Mm. Yes, we love that song, don't we? I can tell by your, mmm, that's good stuff. Love is powerful. Love is special. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 is where we're going to start today. We're going to look at many verses, but this is where we're going to start in 1 John, not the gospel of John, but the letter of John, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. Here John, writing this, he talks about the great love of God and how he has lavished it on us. He's entrusted it to us. He has poured it out on our lives. If we as a people could understand the love of God, somehow, as best we can, grasp this love of God, I'm convinced that it would solve most of the problems that we have. If we would be able to grasp the love of God, because when we grasp the love of God, it begins to work in us, and as it works in us, it also works through us to one another. Therefore, we find ourselves, by God's power, being able to fulfill the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord our God with all of our hope, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But let's talk about the love of God. What is the love of God? Well, first off, the love of God is the great equalizer. It equalizes because it is just and fair. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 29, it says about John the Baptist, he declared, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In the, gospel, the prophecies of Joel, the account in the book of Acts, and also in Romans chapter 10, the word tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's one of my, my favorite verses. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
In other words, the love of God is the equalizer. There's not a special salvation for the rich or for the poor. There's not a special salvation for the educated and the uneducated. It's not something special that God gives to those who live in a city or those who live in the country. The list could go on and on. You get the picture. There's not some special thing that God does. Salvation is available to everyone. And all it takes is for you to call on the name of the Lord and to say, God, I'm putting my faith and my trust and my confidence in you, and I am receiving your gift of salvation by grace. It is a gift. And so, Lord, would you please save me, not because I deserve it, but because you are so good. And no matter who makes that prayer, no matter who calls on God's name, God's love is the equalizer. He saves everyone who calls on him. There's a couple of hymns. I love a, the, the hymn that we sang today, a couple of more hymns. One of them says, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's going on in your life right now, there's room at the cross for you. Have you made that journey to the cross? Have you come to the cross of Jesus Christ and recognized that that is the payment for my sin and your sin, and the Bible tells us the sin of the entire world? There's another hymn written by Frederick Lehman, and the chorus goes like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk of earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The love of God is the great equalizer, but it also endures The love of God transcends our cultures and our time periods and everything that we try to do to change life. The love of God endures through all of it. People may quit. People's love may ebb and flow. It it may falter, but God's love never does. It endures generation after generation after generation. Life changes, but God never does. Hey, you want to do a little trivia today? I thought you'd say yes. I'm going to give you 10 facts about a year. American history, and you're going to guess what year it was. Now, all of you who are grabbing your phones right now to look Google up, you're cheaters. All of you are cheaters. Don't do that, okay? All right, here's 10 quick facts. The average price of the U.S. home was $5,000. Oh, for those days to return. The average price of a car, $400. The average wages, 22 cents an hour. And the supermarket was Piggly Wiggly. John D. Rockefeller became the world's first billionaire. Only 8% of homes had a landline telephone. I think we're going back to that number, aren't we? The U.S. population broke 100 million, and the global population was 1.9 billion. The major tech innovation of the year was the toggle light switch. Oh, yes. Groundbreaking. Only 6% of Americans had graduated from high school, and a loaf of bread cost 7 cents. All right, make your guess. Close. 
1917. So, 1917, quite a while ago. Life has changed quite a bit. Right? But God's love never does. I have uh, here in my hand a, a copy of a letter that I want to read to you. It is dated March 25th, 1917, from Charlotte, North Carolina. Both of my father's parents, my grandparents, were born in 1898. And this letter was typed by my grandfather in 1917 to his girlfriend, who would then become his wife and my grandmother. I want to read it to you. It says, Dear Clara, as this, now this is the first time he's ever used a typewriter. The first time. He has about a fourth grade education. He was a farmer and always wanted to be a printer and ended up becoming a printer. So this is his first try at typing. He says, as this is my first letter to typewrite, I thought of you first, so I will write to you. You come first in everything with me as far as that goes. This sure is some fine day, just the right kind of day to take a walk. I sure will be glad when it comes time for me to go and see you. I've been waiting for the phone to ring for me all day. Say, what do you think of my writing? This is the first time I ever had anything much to do with one. Don't you think I'm getting along just fine? It is slow, but sure. Well, what are you going to do next week? Is it with you like it is with me? The same old thing over and over. Go to work in the morning and then come home in the evening. If I don't go to see you, it is just sit around or read or go to bed. There's not anyone here to talk to. All Emma wants to talk about is the Charlotte Laundry. I guess that's the newspaper. I don't know. And all Grandma and Ellie talk about is her doctor and her kids. So there it goes. I feel like going off and never coming back. Grandma came in here as soon as she found out that I had a typewriter and wanted me to write a letter to some of her friends. Well, I will have to stop and go to Sunday school and we'll finish when I come back. Well, I'm back. <laughs> says, well, I'm back and still thinking of you as ever. That is about all I do anyway. We have just had dinner and now I have to, uh, and now I just talk to you and feel better. Well, is there, as there is not any more to write, I will close and write you again tomorrow. That was on a Sunday, March 25th, 1917. And evidently, he pulled the paper out of the typewriter and realized there were many typographical errors. <laughs> so he put the piece of paper back in the typewriter sideways, and he typed in the margin, take all mistakes for kisses. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Well, isn't that a great picture of our love? They ended up getting married and having uh, eight children. One of them passed away, but they had seven that lived, and my father was number six. And he turns 90 in July, 
And when he turns 90, he will then have lived longer than any of his siblings who are all, all now gone. The love of God, the love of people. The love of people is strong, but it can never be stronger than God's love. Our love has shortcomings and we fail. Not everything goes right and not everything goes perfect, but the love of God endures through all of it. And if we will begin to grasp and understand that our love, though given and given and we're perfecting and we're getting better and better, if we would just say, God, even though I'm trying to love and I, I slip and I stumble and I fall, but God, would you just take all of my mistakes as kisses? Would you just take all of my mistakes as my feeble attempt to worship you by loving you and loving one another? A lot would change. We can't ever grow tired of loving one another. We can't ever grow tired of, of making mistakes. We've got to do more and we'll become better. C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, wrote this. He said, to love at all is to be venerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable. That's what happens sometimes when, when people's love fail us. We are tempted then to say, well, I'm going to just lock it away. I'm just going to shut in, and I'm not going to let anybody in, and therefore I can't let myself out. And that's the worst thing that we can possibly do. When someone lets us down and someone doesn't do right, yes, it hurts. But we've got to say, but God, I'm not depending on their love for my eternal life. I'm depending on your love for my eternal life, and your love never fails. Your love endures through all the ups and downs of life, through all the, the turmoil, all the disappointments. God love endures, and that's why we can put up and tolerate and even appreciate one another, even though we make mistakes, even though we don't get it just right, because we have a faith and a confidence that God's love never fails. The prophet Habakkuk in the very close of his book of prophecy, says this. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he, he enables me to tread on the heights. You know, when you know the love of God will always endure through all of life's ups and downs, all of a sudden there is a renewed sense of strength and vigor in you because you realize God's love is filling my heart and he forgives my mistakes, he forgives their mistakes, therefore we together make up the body of Christ and we together with all of our strengths and all of our weaknesses form the body of Christ of which Christ died for. And so therefore we stand bold and strong with our own mistakes and everybody else's mistakes, but realizing the love of God endures through all of it. 
And I know that in every one of our lives, there have been hardships and there have been discouragement. There's been times when you have felt like, man, I, I just don't, what, what is really going on? I don't understand why this has happened and that's happened. And, and how can God explain this? Well, there are, the fact of the matter is that in this life, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a glass dimly. One day we'll know. One day we'll understand. But that day has not yet come. But one thing we know now is the love of God endures. The love of God is more powerful than anything that anyone has ever done to us. May the love of God endure in your life through all the ups and downs. But the third thing is that God's love emancipates. And that's what's so beautiful. He takes our wounds and our hurts and he says, I'm going to free you from them. He is the great emancipator. He sets us free. The world tries to treat sin as normal. The world tries to say, well, this is, this is the way I want to live and this is what feels natural to me. And so therefore, I'm going to say it's natural even though against, it goes against everything of God's word and everything even against nature. They try and convince themselves that this is the way I'm supposed to live. And then they try to not just be content with that, but to convince everybody that it's okay to live this way. But sin is not the emancipator. Sin never sets us free. Sin brings us into bondage. Sin is that, that thing that causes us to hide from God. But if we'll understand the love of God... When we see our sin, it should draw us closer to him because we know he'll forgive us. Have you ever been there? Don't answer that question. Have you ever been there where you've said, you know, I'm not doing quite right, and so you start gravitating away, you start pulling back from God, but instead we should run to God and say, God, you're the only one that understands, you're the only one that can forgive me. And when we do that, he does. And that's what alleviates us from our sin. 1 John chapter 3 says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Isn't that great news? And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. In other words, no one who is in Christ just lives a lifestyle of sin. God delivers us from that. No one who continues in sin has ever seen him or knows him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Sin keeps you in bondage. But God liberates you from sin and to himself. And that's the connecting point. He liberates us out of a lifestyle of sin to himself. Because, fourthly, the love of God elevates. The love of God doesn't just simply say, well, you know, yeah, you're, you're down low in all this mire and sin, and I'll just kind of bless you but leave you. God never does that. He blesses us, and his blessings elevate us. The love of God draws us out of that sin. You know, years ago, the government did a, an experiment, and they took 100 uh, people slash families who were homeless, and they gave them homes. They said, hey, free of charge, here. Here's a home. Now it's yours. 100. 
But it was within months that most of them were homeless again. There was an external attempt to elevate. External attempts to elevate don't usually work because we don't live on the external. We live from the internal. And God is not interested nearly as much about elevating you from an external extent as he is from the inside internally. The change that God does in our lives is internal. That is the emancipation. That is the elevation. He lives us from the inside up, and then the outside begins to change. Don't answer this question, but have you ever prayed to win the lottery? You know that vast, well, a great number of people who win the lottery in just a few years, are, they're broke again? See, the change that comes from the inside is the one that really lasts, and that's what God does. You see, it's not a matter of saying, well, I, I, I need to stop sinning so that God will be happy with me. There are plenty of people who are filling churches today who are there because they want to find out how to get rid of the guilt of their heart, how to get rid of this bondage that they're in, and they're thinking, the church will tell me what I need to do so God will be happy with me. And that's their focus. That's what they want to do. If I can just do the right stuff, God will be happy with me. And they spend many years and sometimes their whole life just trying to figure out how they can do the right thing so God will be happy with them. And they're still living in bondage because what God does is an inside job. He works within us because we were all born with a sinful nature. We were all born with the, with the inclination to sin, the desire to sin, in fact, the mandate to sin because we were born with a sinful nature. It came from Adam and Eve and has been passed down through every generation. And yet God says, that's the very thing I want to change, is to take out of you a heart of stone, a heart of fleshliness, a heart of, of having to sin, compelled to sin, can't stop sinning. He says, that's what I want to take out of you, and what I want to put inside of you is a heart, is a new nature, a new heart, that all of a sudden you are then able to fulfill the great commandments of God because you have a new heart on the inside. And so that's what elevates our life is the change from the inside. The one way Jesus uh, described that as an illustration is the one that we probably remember the most out of John chapter 3. A man must be born again. There's a new birth. There's a, there's a transformation. It is a transformation that is so remarkable, so powerful, that, that it supersedes anything else. That God, in his love, looks at us in our sinful nature, and he looks at us in our sinful condition, and he says, yeah, I'm not so worried about the condition, I'm worried about the nature. And he says, that's the very thing I'm going to change. I'm going to take out of you that sinful nature, and I'm going to place within you a new nature. Have you had that transition? Have you had that transformation? Have you been born again? Or are you still trying to say, I, I need to find out what else I need to do to make God happy with me? Because I, I don't feel like he's happy with me. And I keep trying to do good stuff. 
God is not interested with the external. He's interested with the internal. And that's where his love goes straight to. The heart that we can't change. The heart that we can't control. The heart that we have no power to change. But God says, I have the power to change it. I have the power to transform your life. I have the power to cause you to have such an internal change that people will notice it on the outside. Michael Ramsden is somebody that I I listen to and and read. He's a British guy, and we forgive him for that. (laughs) But I think he's really cool. I had the opportunity to meet him a couple years ago. And he, he, he said this. He said, I knew that I was going to get saved the next day. So I went to my friends and I said, tomorrow I'm going to get saved so I won't be able to have any more fun. Because <laughs> that's what he thought. And what he didn't realize was, is that by being saved, by being converted, born again, that he would change from the inside out and his desires would change. And so he went and he gave his life to Christ the next day. And the next day, he was around some of his friends. He didn't say anything about what had happened. And they looked at him and said, what, what happened to you? You're different. They said, he said, what do you mean? He said, there's, they said, there's something different about you. You see, the change on the inside works its way to the outside and many times rather quickly. Do you want to be elevated today? The change comes from the inside. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You know, when you look at someone's face, you can tell a lot about them. You can look at somebody and go, You know what? I think they're a little depressed. They're down. Or you can look at another person and go, man, they don't have a care in the world. They're like, it's great. Life's wonderful. You can look at someone and say, I, I think they're, they're mourning something. You can tell a lot about someone by looking at their face, especially their eyes. The Bible talks about the eyes being a gateway to the soul. And here's what... Paul writes, the Holy Spirit writes to the Apostle Paul, he made his light shine in our hearts. When God's light shines in your heart, man, everything changes. All of a sudden, everything is illuminated to say, yes, I was a sinner, now I'm a child of God. I was bound by sin, now I'm free from sin. I was on my way to hell, now I'm on my way to heaven. I was bound up in sin, I couldn't stop it, but now God's given me a brand new nature. That's the heart surgery that God does when we call on his name. God is the only one that can transition our lives. He is the only one at all. My question to you today is this. Have you been born again? Have you experienced the love of God? Here's something so unique and wonderful about the God that we serve, and that is this. It is not just a a theory or a theoretical thought process. But the God that we serve is actually tangible. We can feel him and feel his presence. We can experience him. I will never forget the night I was born again. I was a teenager laying in bed, 
And I could tell in that moment that I'd been born again. No one needed to tell me. Nobody needed to say anything. I knew that I was born again because the Holy Spirit of God came into me, bore witness with my spirit, testified, if you will, to my spirit, you're right with God. And I'm convinced that people know if they're right with God or if they're not right with God. Are you right with God? Because everyone here was not right with God or still is not right with God. But that can be fixed today. That can be changed today by saying, God, I need you. Please come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Lord, would you bear witness with my spirit? Would you testify? Would you have a connection with my spirit? And let me know that I'm born again. It is a heart transplant. That's what God does. He takes out of us the heart of stone, puts in us a heart that's just so pliable and soft that he can work with. And now suddenly our desires change. Our outlook changes. Everything changes about us because of the love of God. 